0: You're listening to the Echo Church Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit our website at echowashington.org. Matthew chapter 6. This isn't the only description of the Lord's Prayer, but this is the one that I felt like would be best for us to walk through. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let's read this together. You can, pray, you can read this out loud or silently along with us in your heart if you'd like. Um, verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So today, we're finishing up, Lord, teach us to pray, and we're asking, Lord, teach us to pray as you taught the disciples. And part of learning how to pray this prayer is, what do we do with temptation? Okay, so um, let me pray, and we'll jump into this, and I'll do my best to hopefully explain what this means, how it impacts our lives and what God is revealing to us through his word. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, it's just amazing that you speak to us, still today, through words written through men empowered by the Spirit 2,000 years ago. Lord, that this is still relevant, and it's still important. And so, God, I pray this morning that not a word would be said that would be outside of your word. And I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would change hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal in our hearts things that we need to confess. I pray that you would reveal in our hearts, Lord, a deep and longing love that only you can satisfy and fulfill. So, Lord, teach us to pray this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, temptation. Now, I was talking to Bill a few weeks ago, and if you are follow along the news, and if you followed along any of the news in the religion section, um, The Catholic Church had a new pope installed a few years ago, and ever since Pope Francis has been in place, there's been some controversy. Things have been changing. Um, One of the things that Pope Francis brought to, to bear on the Catholic Church was this particular verse. Verse 13, "...and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." And what Pope Francis was saying is that God does not tempt us. And so should we change this to something else? And while I understand what he's saying, and I'll try to explain it this morning, he brings up a good point. Anyone in here ever faced temptation? <laughs> right? Like if, if you drew a cartoon of yourself and you had a decision to make, You would have, right, the angel on one side and the devil on the other, and they'd be speaking to you, right? Like, we play that off as a cartoon, but in reality, like, that is, we wrestle. We play mental gymnastics with decisions daily in our lives. Are we going to submit to the Lord and do what's right, or are we going to submit to our flesh and rebel against God, right? Like, this is what we do, And, and it happens in all ways. Don't go to, well, yeah, I thought about killing my neighbor and I didn't, okay? Like, Like, that's extreme. Or maybe I thought about killing my spouse. (laughs) I didn't. You know. Um, Let's not go to the extremes. It it could come down to the smallest of details, right? So, in our work environments, choosing to do something that's right, even when we could get away with it, right? Um, Even, like, telling what I would say, a half-truth, withholding some of the truth. Let me tell you something. It's still not the truth. It's still deceiving. You know who the father of all lies is, the father of deceiving is? It's not Jesus. (laughs) It's Satan, okay? So we have options. We have opportunities every day with temptations to do what is pleasing to the Lord and then also to what our hearts just sometimes long and desire for. And we are battling this out. And sometimes we make the right choice by the grace of God, by the power of His spirit, right? And in those moments, we celebrate. And then most of the time, we probably make the decision that our heart desires, which is rebellion towards God. This is what we do. And first and foremost, I want to say, listen, we just sing about grace. We believe wholeheartedly in the grace of God. We believe that on the cross, that all sins past, present, and future were paid for, right? Paul used, to, used the term that Jesus on the cross had taken away, like in the, in the past, meaning for all future. Christ has removed all sin for his people, and so we have to understand that, but we, we're dealing with temptation. Why? Jesus is telling his disciples about temptation and praying. Well, where, where do we learn about temptation in the Bible? Um, our prayer this morning should be, Allow us to be spared from difficult circumstances that would tempt us to sin. That would be one of our prayers, right? Like when we're praying, and we're praying through the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for our friends, we're praying for our neighbors, we're praying for ourselves, we're praying for wisdom, we're praying for guidance. One of the things that we need to pray for is, Lord, allow me to be spared from difficult circumstances that would tempt me to sin. Because it's in those moments that it's, it's even like you're in the crucible. You're in the, the fire, and the fire is refining you. But sometimes you want to remove yourself from the fire. And so sometimes we do whatever it takes to get out of those circumstances. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 26, verse 41, he said, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray. So we're to, be, we're to be on the lookout and we're to be praying so that we wouldn't enter into temptation. Then he says this, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Like you may walk out of here this morning fired up and you may get to the place where you're eating and your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak because the server just isn't on their A game today, right? They, they, you've sat there for 20 minutes and they haven't even brought you your drinks. And then when they bring the food out, it's cold. And then they overcharge you for something. Like the, the, the spirit's willing when you leave and then the flesh comes into play and it's weak. And Jesus is telling his disciples this, like, listen, pray for me and pray. You need to be prayer. Watch, be mindful because I'm telling you, your spirit is willing. Hey, this is the good intentions, right? Like if, if you came over to my house and we hung out, you would see that my house, there's, I have lots of plans for my house that should have been done by this point but the intentions don't get anything done, right? So like in our house, um, I have a few pieces of siding that have holes in it. They didn't have holes in it when we moved in. But when you're hitting baseballs and throwing baseballs and you see the siding is brittle, right? I'm like, I'll get to it at one point, I need to fix that. Um, I've painted the door once and now I have to paint it again. The color, you know, is so last year, so we need a new, right? Like the intentions, like my intention for my house is to put new shutters on it, to wrap our posts in cedar kind of like this. Maybe I'll take these off. That probably would fit. <laughs> right? just do a little upkeep in the house, remove the bushes. Like the intentions are good, but man, when it comes down to it, I don't have the time or I have the desire or I just don't want to. This is the same thing, like Jesus is telling his disciples, like you are praying, I'm getting ready to go to the cross, I'm in the garden, and I'm asking you to pray for me, and I know that you want, I know your desire is to pray, but your flesh is weak. Can I get an amen on the flesh is weak? Right? Like we, our flesh is just, in its own, is just left to decay. So Jesus is teaching them, but it doesn't just end with Jesus teaching the disciples about temptation, to be Mindful of it, Jesus himself was tempted. Do you remember this? In Matthew chapter 4, this is right as Jesus was baptized. He comes to John out in the wilderness, and John sees him. And he says, Oh, look, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And, and Jesus walks into the water with John, and John's baptizing all different people for repentance of their sins. He was the forerunner to Jesus. That was prophesied. This was his cousin, too, right? This is his cousin, his boy. And he comes and he says, Look, on a side note, Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. But the one that everyone else thought was crazy saw Jesus for who he was. They thought John was crazy. I mean, the man wore camel skin clothes, he ate locusts, bugs. Like, if you saw that guy out in the street, you would think he's crazy. Get him a backpack, right? <laughs> Get him a hotel room. But it's the crazy one that saw Jesus and understood, and it was his family, this is the Lamb of God, and he's out there baptizing people, he's calling the religious leaders, what do you call them, a brood of bunnies, (laughs) brood of vipers, snakes, anyone like snakes? Amy, what's your thoughts on that? Like, when you think of a snake, you don't think of a cuddly, cute little animal that you're going to pet, and it's going to, you know, cuddle with you. A boa constrictor might cuddle with you. That'll be the last time you cuddle. (laughs) Satan showed up as what? Serpent. Do you know what was on the gear of the Philistines? you know what was on their armor that they had engraved on their armor? serpents. Who slayed Goliath? David, in the name of the Lord, slayed the snake. Do you see the imagery here throughout scripture? So John calls the religious leaders, you brood of vipers. Like, that is not a name that you're like, oh yeah, right, you know? Like, for instance, a little church history. Most of the time, churches and and denominations get their names because of what they believe, and usually it's because no one likes to believe what they, like it's, it's, a, it's like a, a bad name. So Baptists, now you may have your own view on Baptists. The reason they were called Baptists is because they actually immersed people in the 1600s in England when this new revolution was, they were baptizing people because they read the Bible and they said, this word means to be immersed and so they would baptize people underwater and not sprinkle them. And they said, oh you Baptists, like it was a knock on them and they took that name and they claimed it, right? Brood of vipers is not a name you want it to be called. You don't want to be called a snake. You probably know some snakes, right? Yeah. Like, I have heard it before with people I know. Oh, so-and-so, they're, they're like a snake in the, in the grass. <laughs> what does that mean? You ever walk and see a snake in the grass and not know it's there and then you see it? Every one of us screams like a girl, like, wah, right? <laughs> you jump up. It could be a garter snake that's helpless and harmless. We had a black snake at our house, a rat snake. I didn't see it because I was at the store getting something, and, and I said, Christine called me. I said, don't kill it. Let it go. Play with it, whatever, but leave it. Do not harm it. And it crawled underneath our foundation in our house, and I said, leave it. Do not touch it. I, I want that snake because that snake eats mice, and I don't like mice. I'd rather have a black snake than mice. But if you come up to a snake and you step on it, you will jump because it it startles you. This is not something that these Pharisees, these religious leaders wanted to be called. And John's calling them a brood of vipers. Like he was seeing truth. He was seeing, listen, you, what Jesus would later say, are sons of your father who is the deceiver, who is Satan. And he sees Jesus and he says, this is the lamb of God. And he baptized him. In the river. Now, this is a long way to get to my point. And John didn't want to do this. He said, "I need to be baptized by you." And Jesus said, "No. If I don't do this, I won't fulfill all righteousness." And he baptized him. And he comes out of the water. Do you remember what happens? Like, a spirit comes down like in the in form of a dove and lands on him. And and a voice says, "This is my son with whom I am well pleased." Like, man, that we would all long to hear those words from God one day. "This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased." And you will hear that. Why? Not because of any effort you put towards God in this world, but because you are what we sing about hidden in Christ. And because of Christ's work, one day when you face God on that judgment, he will say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, welcome in. But what happens right after the Spirit descends on Jesus? Do you remember? Was he like, you know, jumping up, clicking his heels singing, you know, whistle while we work and go on to his ministry. What did the Spirit do? Led Jesus to the wilderness. To to what? To be tempted. You remember this? Like, there is imagery all throughout the Bible. The wilderness is not a place you want to go and live, right? The wilderness is difficult. It's challenging. It's hard. There was no glamping in the wilderness. You know what glamping is? We all want to be glampers, <laughs> especially in the middle of summer. You don't want to put that tent out there and sweat in 100-degree weather and not sleep. The problem that when, when Christine and I take the kids camping um, is that I'm the heaviest one. And so when you blow up your air mattress and you sleep on the air, I don't care how good your air mattress is. It always leaks. You seal it every year. It always leaks. And so by morning, when everyone's waking up, I'm the one that's on the ground, like, oh, like, the ground's hard, and, it's, and Christine's like, what do you mean? I slept fine. I'm like, yeah, because I'm the heaviest one, so when it leaks out, I sink and you float. <laughs> For those who camp, you understand, like, being out, is, it's a little bit harder, but being in the wilderness is even more difficult. The wilderness was always a picture of struggle, of suffering, that we needed Jesus, that we needed God, that we needed a savior, provider. The Israelites, when they walked through... Um, out of Egypt, into uh, the desert. It was called the wilderness, wilderness of sin, right? Jesus is out in the wilderness. And you know what happened to the Israelites? They were tempted. Did they pass the test? No, they failed miserably. I mean, Moses, they saw God do miracles, 10 plagues, pull them out of Egypt, open the sea, they walk through the sea on dry land, Pharaoh and his chariots pursue them. The ground closes up. Meanwhile, God is leading them by fire at night and cloud of pillar of smoke during the day. Moses goes up on the mountain, meets with God. God hides him in a cleft so that his glory can pass by so he will not die. He walks down the mountain. His face is glowing. His hair is like, I'm I'm thinking of, you know, the the -the glow-in-the-dark trolls. You know those things? You put it up to light, you shake it. I'm Imagining Moses coming down, like they had to veil him because it, he scared the Israelites because he was in the presence of God. Meanwhile, he's coming back down w- with the tablets that God wrote with his hand, the Ten Commandments, to tell them, this is what's going to set us apart as a people from all the other world religions, all the other peoples in the world. And he comes down and guess what happened? They took all the gold jewelry that they could find, they melted it down, they physically made a calf, a cow, and they said, this is the God that brought us out. Like, that is insane. Like, they're in the presence of God. They've seen him do things that you and I would long to see. And yet, in the middle of the wilderness, when tempted with their own desires, their rebellious hearts, what do they choose? They choose themselves. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan. And every time he passes the test. Okay, so... We look at Jesus not only as our Savior, He is our example, but He's not only our example, He is our Savior. You you could never be Jesus. Okay, let's get that right. His example is one that we should pursue, but don't put our righteousness in our own efforts. We put it in the righteousness of Jesus. So Jesus goes out and He's tempted and He passes the test. Although God never directly tempts believers, here's where we need to get, get this verse some grounding on. He does sometimes lead us into situations that test us, right? Jesus was the example. God led him by the Spirit into the wilderness. He had to do that to fulfill all righteousness as well, to prove that he was the Son of God. You will be led into situations. In fact, one of the words that we could use, instead of temptation in Matthew chapter 6 verse 13, instead of temptation, this word could actually be, be translated, and probably more appropriately, testing. Lord, lead us not into testing, because the Lord does test us. The Lord never tempts us. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, the, says that God does not tempt us, right? Because He is removed from sin. He can't be near sin, and so he is never tempted by sin, so he doesn't tempt us, but he does lead us into moments of testing. Why? Like, is that fair? Does that seem right? I don't know. I love my wife. She loves me, and I don't put her through testing, but I do like to see in ways that she can show me that she loves me, right? And I can guarantee you she does that way more than I do for her. And she's not testing me and I'm not testing her, but I do know that if I just say I love you, man, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak because words sometimes don't matter if they're not followed by action. So I'll just confess to you that if you learn your love language, and I would encourage you to do this, um, I find them at Goodwill. There's this book called The Five Love, love Languages. And I find this book, it's like a dollar at, at, at Goodwill, so I'll get them and i to just read it. It's basically saying that our love language for ourselves, like for me, the way that I know that I'm loved by my wife is um, by acts of service. I'm a doer. I like to do things, I like to be busy. But I also like, you know, physical touch. So when someone, like she hugs me, I'm like, oh, I feel loved. For her, it's quality time. She feels loved by me when I spend time with her. Not watching a movie, like that would be great. She wants to sit down eye to eye, no kids, no interruptions, and just just let me hear her, right? And I'm terrible at this. Not because I don't want to, because I care about her and I care about what she's feeling and what's going on, but I'm so stuck in this root of discontentment in my heart and this root of pride that when she's telling me how she feels, what I'm hearing is how bad I'm doing. <laughs> not that I'm not doing a bad job, sometimes I do a really bad job. What I'm saying is, in order for me to love my wife well, I have to, I can't just say that I love her. I have to show her that I love her. I have to prove to her that I love her. I have to serve her. I have to listen to her. I have to spend time with her. This plays into God leading us through temptation. He's testing us. Now, this, this is unique because I read in the scriptures that the Lord saves us, and, and John 6 talks about how he holds us, and John 10 talks about he holds us in his hand, and nothing can remove us, right? That's good news. Isn't that comforting? Like, you can't outrun the grace of God. Like, if he has saved you, he's not going to change his mind, right? Like, we've talked about this, and Ezekiel talks about he removes a heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. Oh, But sometimes he just he takes the heart of flesh back out and puts a heart of stone in. No, right? Like, like he is... He is all-wise, all-knowing. He's made that choice, and he's put a heart of flesh in you. Like, he's changed you, and he's changing you. And so we can rest in knowing that God loves us and saves us, and he holds us fast. He keeps us together. But he does help us walk through temptation, through testing. Why? Why are we tested in our faith? Not so we can even prove our love to God. It's simply because he, this is the process that he chooses to help us become more like Christ. Christ. Right? The churchy word is sanctification. Okay? Whole another sermon series we'll do one day called Big Churchy Words. And this is one of them. What does sanctification mean? It means that when you come and experience the grace of God and you repent and you believe and you submit to the Lordship of Jesus, like he's not just done with you. Isn't that, isn't that good? And you may feel like, I am no better now than I was 10 years ago when I accepted Christ. Well, well, God's still not done with you. And he will not be finished with you until he comes back or you die. And at that point, he will refine. The refining process sometimes takes a lifetime. But God's faithfulness is to you. It's not your faithfulness to him. And so this testing is is God working out salvation in our lives so that we become more like him. This is what we call discipleship. Um we wanted to plant this church and start this church not to have the biggest church, not to have the coolest church. Not because like not because of anything that I could ever bring to the table. But but we wanted to start this church because we believe that the way to change the community, is by making disciples. So often in our culture, it will be the gospel is summed up in your belief in Christ, and it's left there. And the gospel plays out in our lives. The good news of Jesus is like something I need to hear daily. It's something my wife needs to hear daily. something you need to hear daily because we will beat ourselves up or people will beat us up because of our failures, and you need to hear that Christ, he died for you, all of it, even in this moment, and so it isn't just the entrance into heaven, but in our culture, that's what we've made it, we've made it, the gospel is enter into the church, enter into the kingdom, and from here on out, try to be a good person, and at the end of the day, you realize, I'm not a good person, like on my own, like you can be, like I think most of you are good people, okay, that sounds weird, because you're like, well, he said most, that means some, okay, I think you guys are good people, I think there are lots of good people in the world. But good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And this is what we were taught our whole lives. And so what we're learning is that the testing that God leads us through, we're praying, Lord, lead us not through temptation. And I'm like, but if you do, deliver us from the evil one. Because this is how God refines you. You always helping you become more like Christ. This is why your lifestyle will start to change. Um, I was talking with a friend last night, and he was in the Navy, and he said that when he was in the Navy, he wasn't following the Lord. And if you're in the Navy, you know what you do. You cuss and you drink, right? That's why they say cuss: you cuss like a sailor. And he said when he surrendered his life to Christ, He said he didn't go hang out with his buddies because they were drinking and he just didn't do that anymore. And this isn't a sermon about whether or not you can drink or not. This is about what God had put into his life and his life had changed. And he realized all I had in common was going out and partying with these guys. And so he stopped doing it. And he did that because he was pursuing Christ. Like, he's changing, right? Like, we're changing. Um... God leads us through these situations, and we should, we should pray not to go through them. But let me tell you something, when you are in them, we should be looked to be delivered from them. We should pray that God would move us through these, and that he would give us, lead us in what paths of righteousness is what Psalm 23 says, Psalm 24 says, "Pass of righteousness. But we have even more hope than this. Um, Hebrews chapter 4. I read through the whole book of Hebrews the other day, and I was just like crushed. Um, in a good way. I, I just it was so overwhelmed. I was so emotional. And, uh, and I just read through it. And I was reading because I was reading these verses, and I said, I'm just going to read the whole whole book. But, but here's what we have. When we look to, to Christ, like Satan wants to kill you. Do you know this? He wants to beat you up. He wants to destroy you. He wants to remove all hope and joy that you have. John 10, 10 says this. Jesus wants to give you life abundantly, not, not the $54 million jet, not the Ferrari. That's not the abundant life Jesus is talking about. The abundant life is in Christ. And Satan wants to kill you and destroy you. He wants to take everything from you. This is what he wants to do. And so we say, Lord, deliver us from The evil one delivers from him so that we can walk in path of righteousness. But here's the good news. Jesus went through what you and I go through and he did it perfectly so that you and I have grace when we walk through these situations. So Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 says that since then we have a great high priest because all the other priests were just a shadow of Jesus. Jesus was the greater Moses, the greater Abraham. He, He was all that they were wanting to be, Jesus Exemplified. So since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, right? We're confessing him as Lord of all, what we're saying. This for we do not have a high priest, listen to this, this is so big. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, right? Like, if you would approach a king 400 years ago, 500 years ago, you would not be able to relate with them because you would have to work and scratch and claw out just to have food for that day. You're not dressed with a crown on your head with jewels or or purple velvet material. Like You don't have any of that. You don't have servant serving. You are the servant. Jesus is the greatest king of kings, right? He, He sits at the throne, at the right hand of the throne of God, He sits there. This is who He is. Yet, what Hebrews tells us is that He is able to sympathize with you. Now He's not unable. Why is He? Why is He able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses? Because what it says, "But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." You see, we fail; Jesus succeeds. We choose sin; Jesus to submitting to the will of the father. And then it gets even better. In verse 16 says, "Let us in light of that Jesus sympathized with our weakness, yet was without sin, was able to go through what we go through and fail." It says, "Let us then with confidence, not arrogance, but knowing what Jesus did brings us confidence to what? Draw near to the throne of grace." We have to draw near to this throne of grace that God lavishes on us so greatly that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Like, that is good news. Whether you're in this testing and you fail miserably, or you're in this testing and by the grace of God you come through it, we come boldly to the throne of grace with confidence because he gives us grace to help us in our time of need. And I love what 1 Corinthians says. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. Right? Like, like every single human being has the same heart issue. We all go through these together. But he says, God is what? Faithful. Like this is a lesson of my life. This is one of the, the small lessons that I try to cling to. I had a pastor years ago tell me, he said, Rob, if I have one piece of advice, here's what I'm going to pass on to you. He said, be faithful in the little things. Right? Like, like, everyone desires the big things, and he said, be faithful in the little things. Like, God honors that. And when we're faithful in the small things, he may give us greater things. Like, there are churches gathering around all over the world this morning, looking at the Word of God, hearing someone preach it, worshiping the same God that we're worshiping together. Some of them are big, some of them are small, some of them don't have buildings, some of them are in huts, some of them don't even have the Bible. And they're gathering to worship. And I've learned that no matter what my heart desires, that he is faithful. Because I've got to tell you something. I, I'm learning this. and I was telling Christine, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'm really struggling. Like, pastors struggle just as much as anybody. Like, well, I'm no different than you. I'm no different. Like, who, are you going to preach next week? Who's preaching next week, right? Like, I am no different than you. And I had to tell Christine, I'm like, I don't always know what's happening in my heart, but I knew at this moment what was, what was really taking a deep root in my heart, and it was discontentment. Like I just realized I'm not a very content person. I'm antsy. My heart is envious towards things that I see and things that I want, that see, things that may make me happy for a moment, but I know that they don't last. But my heart is discontent. Right? Do you ever feel like it's self pity sometimes? Well, why does so and so have this? Well, why do they do this? Well, what about that church? Like, even in church things, right? Like, how did they start with 200 people? That's a mega church, man. And I had to I had to confess that to God and I had to tell Christine, like, you pray for contentment in my life because I've preached on it, I've talked on it, and I'm realizing I'm very discontent in like so many areas. But I learned this God is faithful. He's faithful to me, He's faithful to you, He's faithful to His church. Like this is His church. He died for it, He paid for it with His blood. He's going to redeem it. I don't think I can mess it up that bad. It's possible, but it's his church. And so all we're called to do is be faithful, and it starts in the smallest of things. So no temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man, but God is faithful. Listen to this. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But you're like, well, what happens when I, when I fail? What, what happens when I am tempted and I, and I choose my rebellious heart? Well, God hasn't failed you. In fact, he pours out his mercy and grace still upon you. And by his grace, he brings you back into the fold because what happens is some people just run with it and they run from God. But he's faithful to pull us back in. It says, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Like, have you had those moments and you've been faced with a sin in your life or this opportunity to sin and you know the right thing and you know the wrong thing And there have been times where you've chosen the right thing, right? Listen, that's by the Spirit of God that you're able to do that. And it's by your own flesh that you choose your own way. And so he always provides a way. Like, that's good news. Like, I'm just learning that as we pray, Lord, lead us not into into testing. But if you do, he provides a way out. And if you do, I think of Psalm 23. Like, he walks with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Like, we try to outrun him. Like, we, we put guilt upon ourselves, rightly so, because we're guilty. But we forget that the guilt has been paid for. That's where we forget. And so we have to remember that God is still walking with us. And he's still, he's so patient. He's so kind. He's so loving. He's a shepherd. You know what shepherds do? They take dumb sheep that are going to run off the cliff and they say, no, no, no. They whistle. And they yell to him and they hear his voice and they come back to him. You want to know someone who's a sheep in the fold? They hear the shepherd's voice. And those that aren't in the fold, they don't know the shepherd's voice. So Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Like this is a prayer I think we should be praying every day because you're going to be faced with these situations in these moments and you're going to struggle. And I want to tell you two things. When you fail... Remember God's grace. Like His grace is greater than any sin you could have. So rest in his grace. Return to him. Uh, Like Adam and Eve, they had an opportunity in the garden. They chose that fruit. You would choose that fruit. We would all take a bite of that fruit. And I wonder what that fruit tastes like. It probably was good. Or, or maybe it was just really terrible. <laughs> Ever think about that? Like, we always say it was really, maybe it was just, maybe it was the worst fruit. But we would all take a bite of that fruit. And what happened in Eden, God knew. This wasn't a surprise. This wasn't like, oh, Adam and Eve, you, you ruined it for mankind. Like, like, we often blame them. But like, that's, this, was, this was gonna happen. Like, he knew this. He created this world. This is how, and, and I don't have time to go on that this morning, but what happens when they took that fruit? They went and they hid from God. They realized they were naked. They felt shame. They felt guilt. They took fig leaves. You know, I've seen a fig leaf, not very big, terrible idea. You know, get like the banana leaves or something. They're, they're huge. And God sees them and, he, and he, he calls out to Adam, where are you? And Adam's reply, you've heard me say this before, but this is so important because we don't believe this. We have to believe this. He says, Lord, I'm hiding from you. Well, why are you hiding from me? Like he knows, God knows the answers. This is us. We're like, Lord, I'm running from you. Why? Because I sinned. I know you sinned. The point of me asking you these questions is not because I don't know the answers. The point of God asking these questions is because he's inviting us back into relationship with him. He was inviting Adam and Eve back into fellowship because God, what did he do afterwards? He took an animal first sacrifice in the Bible and he, he had to take the life of that animal to atone for their sin and covered them with that animal skins. Like this is foreshadowing what Jesus did for us. He was a sacrifice and he swapped us our robes of sin for his robes of righteousness and he puts them on us. So we run to God. We don't run from him, even in our sin. <laughs> like my kids. I love them. You know, like kids, kids are awesome. And when they're really little and they, they sin, <laughs> I've seen my kids run from me. <laughs> Have you seen that? Have your kids run from you like, hey, what do you got? And they just like jet because they think they're going to be in trouble. Like a lot of times they'll do this. What's in your hand? And they're like, nothing, you know? And like, what's in your other hand? And they're like, well, let me switch this one out, <laughs> you know? And then you're like, well, what's in your hand? And then it's like, they're gone and they run. And I want them to run to me because they're, they're safe with me. I love them, and they're, they're my child. That hasn't changed. But the Lord disciplines those he loves, and so we have to understand that. So when we are in those moments and we listen to our flesh, we listen to our hearts, we're in those moments. God is always providing a way out, but we don't always choose it. But I'm saying this, continue to believe in the grace of God. Run to him. He is your father, and he cares deeply for you. And then, on the other side, by the grace of God, when we do walk through these temptations, these trials, and He delivers us from them, and we don't give into our flesh, then we praise God. Right? We thank Him. So this is a part of our prayer. We're, this is this is Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to come to you as our as our good and holy Father. Lord, help us to know what Your will is, so it can be done in this earth, in this community in your house. Lord, help us to know that you're our provider, that you give us all that we need. Help us, help me, Lord, to be content in what you've given me. Lord, help us to remember that you have forgiven our debts so great that that's how we can forgive other people. And then lastly, Lord, as we're in testing, Lord, deliver us from it. Like, I know when I am in those situations faced with with the choice to sin, if I would start praying, Lord, deliver me, deliver me, Lord, help me through this, he would. I just say, no, no thanks. Lord, teach us to pray. So my prayer for you is that in going through this, that this wouldn't be something we end with, but we would continue to to take this and take the Lord's prayer and remember each of these sections. To be encouraged, but also to know um, that the Lord is faithful in all that he does. Let's pray. We're not doing communion today, I'm sorry, you're like you said every week. I know I did. But the grape juice went bad. I don't want to get anybody sick. (laughs) Does does that not go bad? We'll have to limit it. Limit the intake. (laughs) So we're gonna pray. Um you know as i'm just thinking we will always be tested as long as there's breath in your lungs but let's just remember the lord is faithful to us you are not faithful to him there are times you are faithful and oftentimes we're unfaithful but man he is so faithful that is good news that's so good news. Let's pray and pray that God would help us today, this week. Um, I mean, I would love to hear celebrations of of those moments of testings that you've walked through. And you're like, yeah, I mean, those would be great stories to share. You know, I, I love Jesse's story about the TV. That's one of my favorites. like, it's so real, you know. It's like, yeah, that's the moment. Do I take this free TV or do I not? You know, do Do I do what I know the Lord is leading me to do? So let's pray, and we'll continue to worship, um, and we're going to believe in the Lord's faithfulness to us this morning. God, thank you for teaching us to pray. Lord, we need you to teach us in so many areas, Um, but I pray this morning our hearts would find rest in your grace. We would find rest in knowing the work that you did for us, Lord, as we look to Christ, Lord, you were tempted, yet we're without sin. Lord, you who knew no sin became sin, so that we who are unrighteous could become the righteousness of Christ. So Lord, help us. Help us slay the sin in our lives. Help us declare today that we're not going to be okay with sin in in our life that is destroying us and our families and our own hearts. But we're going to put it to death by your grace. We're going to put it to death by the community of saints that's going to help us walk through this. And in the midst of all that we walk through, Lord, we give you glory for when you walk us through it. We give you glory for the grace that you've given us in Christ to know that we are righteous in your eyes. Lord, help us walk out of here refreshed because you've done a work in our lives got to pray this in Jesus name